and um, I'll talk for a while. And even as I'm talking, there will be that tendency to try to comprehend or try to understand or purposefully not try to hear or understand. And we can just notice that. And it's especially interesting to notice how the mind comprehends meaning even when we're not purposefully intending to comprehend or trying hard to understand. It's almost like we're learning that we can just let the words wash through and meaning comprehension will happen at times. Some of it, some of that understanding or comprehending might be useful and affect how we practice. But to see this being on retreat and listening to instructions, to see it also as a natural process. So instead of that weight of needing to be a good retreatant, a good yogi, it's more uh, learning how better to inhabit the natural process of our lives, of our living, this activity of our body and mind. And this is, you know, as any moment is, this is a perfect moment to put down any unnecessary load we might have a habit of holding on to, of needing to be a good practitioner or needing to be the one who's going to get it, who's going to understand. Or whatever story or drama the mind tends to pick up with identification. And of course, all that is just noticed as something arising in the body, in the heart and mind, this activity, this activity of our lives. So as we just do our practice, opening and recognizing that the moment is being known, I want to talk a little bit about how momentum builds in our practice. And practice, wisdom, awareness, as I've been saying, it's a natural process. So then the interesting question for us is, how do we feed this natural process of wisdom and awareness leading onward to insight? And what tends to shrink and weaken this natural process of wisdom and awareness. And you might even notice as you're sitting and feeling the body and hearing the words, noticing the attitude of the mind now. And just considering letting the words land that whatever it is we're doing here on retreat, it's a natural process. So whether the interpretation is that our practice is going well or the interpretation is that our practice is not going well, it might feel like a relief to realize that however it is now, the practice, however it is, not really that personal because it's the just the expression of so many causes and conditions that the practice is going well right now or the practice isn't going well or we don't know whether the practice is going well. So in a funny way, it's not personal how the practice is right now, but as a lawful natural process, Understanding it as a natural process and how it grows, how momentum builds. Then the mind, this activity of the mind, it knows how to participate in a way that supports the building of momentum. In Sayada Utejaniya, he often talks about how wisdom is you know, one of the expressions, one of the primary expressions of wisdom is it's interested in causes, like how 
things come to be, how momentum in our practice comes to be. Not so much about trying to see deeply, it's understanding how insight, how understanding deepens. And that Saida says that we're building the natural ability of the mind to see for itself. We're building the natural ability of the mind to see for itself. Again, if those words sink in, you might experience a kind of relief of not having to be the one who does the inside or who, who deepens understanding. We're just almost like growing a garden. We're cultivating a mind that naturally sees things as they are. We're building a mind, cultivating a heart that sees clearly, continuously. And the depth, you know, the insight doesn't come, as we've been saying, because we're trying to understand. The real depth of understanding arises when there's this simple, relaxed and continuous mindful awareness. So the first thing that we can contemplate, and it's always good not to presume because we felt that we've intuited what is meant by awareness or wisdom awareness really needs to be fresh moment by moment. So in a fresh, even creative way, just intuiting, sensing the activity of awareness right here and now. Objects of experience are being known And this knowing doesn't require any tension in the body, in the mind. So we're taking a little time and we're just contemplating the actual presence, the actual activity of awareness. And we're not thinking that we know what awareness is because that actually gets in the way. I see it as a expression of moha, ignorance, thinking that we know conceptually what awareness is. Is the mind knowing now? How do you know that the mind is knowing? How do we know that there's awareness now? In real time, as we're sitting, in real time, just getting a sense of when there's distraction and when there's non-distraction. And when the mind is completely lost in thought, not aware at all.
Again, we're simply sitting and interested in what is meant by the word awareness, wisdom awareness. in a direct experiential sense. The mind knowing that it's knowing. And in this sense, the particular objects, experiences that are being known, no need to pick and choose any experience being known is fine. Could be more of an attentiveness to the body, the sensations, even the sensations of the breath. or could be a quite diverse array of experiences of thought and emotion and sensation and sound and reaction and Simply curious about awareness, the knowing mind, which of course means that there will be a knowing of the objects that are being known as well. So in a way we're observing what the knowing mind is doing as a natural process. And as Saida says in his instructions, when Awareness has some stability, some momentum, then it naturally sees what's suitable and unsuitable, what's skillful and unskillful. So it's not you or me figuring out the defilements, the wholesome qualities. It's the stability, continuity of wisdom and awareness that does that work. So if ever we want to understand whether the mind is caught or whether we're practicing well, the thing to do is to relax and to be interested in awareness, appreciating the stability of awareness for whatever it is, and just trusting that continuity, that stability to reveal the skillfulness or unskillfulness of whatever the mind is up to. 
And the scene of that skillfulness and unskillfulness is self-correcting. When we see that the quality of awareness is really wholesome, the seeing and recognizing the wholesomeness strengthens the wholesomeness. Just as when we see unwholesomeness being identified with anger, it undermines the unwholesome tendencies that are present just by seeing that they're unhelpful. So that's, we can really test that out in our practice. When the mind is caught or identified with boredom or doubt, guilt and shame, you know, any of those tendencies we might have to get caught up. And we can relax Notice what the mind is knowing. Cultivate a continuity, a relaxed, stable continuity. And let the wisdom reveal the unwholesomeness and the understanding that it's unwholesome then. See if that serves to weaken that tendency in the mind, knowing that it's not helpful does that weaken and undermine the power of that unskillful tendency? And this builds real faith in the practice that this wisdom and awareness really does the job of protecting the heart and leading onward to freedom, the freedom that insight brings. So whenever we have little or big tastes, those moments where it's noticed that reactivity, struggling has been released, we wanna use that to build confidence really deeply appreciating this path. This provides the needed inspiration and energy to develop the patience the interest to keep beginning again and again. And that taste of freedom is really, as I experience a taste of the deepest belonging not feeling in opposition to anything.
And you might even sense a little taste of that freedom just in the course of your practice now or in other moments. The sense of not needing to hold up the burden, the idea of being a deluded person who's practicing to become awake. who's being hunted by the defilements, these unskillful habits of the mind. Instead, just trusting the simple practice that whatever arises, the wisdom and awareness is there to understand it's this being known, being felt. It's just the next experience arising and then moving on. And that deepening sense that this can be trusted. And practice itself is the refuge. So let's sit in silence for another 10 or 15 minutes.
We'll have a couple more minutes of silence, but when you notice distraction, disturbance arising, see if you can trust the wisdom and awareness to reassert itself naturally, that you don't have to, in a sense, practice with the difficulty but rather it's the momentum of the practice that will take care of things. And it's so interesting and liberating to realize that even when there's strong doubt or confusion in the mind, the momentum of wisdom and awareness, it doesn't really have a problem because the doubt and the underlying feeling that goes with the doubt, with the confusion, it's just seen as the next thing being known, being felt. It belongs like every experience belongs. It has its rights, its lawful rights to arise and express itself as doubt, as confusion or whatever the disturbance might be to be felt as it feels. And then to naturally move on, pass away. If you need to adjust and stretch and move, then do that. We have about 20 minutes left. Now I'll say a few more words and 
then um, maybe time for one or two questions before we end. And again, it's just interesting to notice how the attitude shifted because there was a bell and uh, it's just for me so fascinating and, and disturbing. I notice a kind of deeper fear, subtle fear when uh, I get curious about these transition, transitions like when the sort of tendency for the mind is to think, okay, I'm on, I should be practicing. And then those other situations where, okay, now I, I'm off, I have permission not to be practicing. And when wisdom and awareness starts to see that, see those kind of contrived ideas about, you know, where it's supposed to be and where it doesn't have to be, then uh, I notice this interesting fear. It's like uh, some part of the conditioned mind is afraid of the continuity of mindful awareness. So I feel like retreat experiences like we're all part of now, in a way we're uh, one of the most important things we're doing is learning to trust and, and just, if you like this kind of way of talking about it, fall in love with the practice. And um, see it as the best kind of friend. Oh dear, I am so happy to have met you. <laughs> we're gonna be together forever. <laughs> And I know it's not always that way. <laughs> I mean, I know in my own experience, it's not always that way. And I'm suspecting it's, it's true for all of us. So I think one of the ways to build momentum in practice is to specifically get interested, right? It's almost like we're aiming the mind or training the mind to be interested in the very real value of the practice of, of planting seeds or cultivating wisdom and awareness in the ways that we've been talking about it since the beginning of this retreat. So that it's something that always makes sense. Like, can we actually honestly conceive of a place in our lives? Like, so whatever, you know, our understanding is of what would be the opposite of wisdom and awareness. You know, where are those places where we would choose, consciously choose the opposite of wisdom and awareness? I mean, I, I know what comes to my mind. It's like those places where I'm being naughty, you know, watching TV that's not useful to watch or, you know, whatever, wasting my time doing something or acting out in some way. And it, it can seem superficially like I don't really want to be there with wisdom and awareness when I'm doing that. But I think the important thing is not to think we know, but to check it out. Like, okay, and this is one of the beauties of this style of retreat being online where we're all in our lives, you know, we're in our homes with our partners and families or alone or with our goldfish or, you know, whatever our particular location is, comfortable, not comfortable, safe, not safe. That would be different for each of us. But wherever we're located, whatever our situations, there are places where the mind is naturally conditioned to think, I don't have to practice here. And it's just so useful to just to illuminate that with the practice, you know, just to be aware, wisely aware, oh, this is this interpretation or this perspective is arising in the mind and being known that somehow it's inappropriate to be aware now. Like a common place for me is when I'm rushing. And then because, you know, there's some momentum I practice, awareness shows up. And it's like, no, no, not now I'm rushing. <laughs> Later, when I get to where I'm rushing to, fine, come back online. But, I, you know, it's somehow uh, we're embarrassed by being a human being with human emotions, with greed, anger, and delusion. And 
it's kind of like a, a healthy marriage, a partnership, you know, where you've been around each other long enough that the burden of trying to hide, you know, your personality tendencies from the other person, it just isn't worth it anymore. And so you give up, you know, and you're at least a little bit more willing to be real with the other person instead of, you know, who you think you should be or who you think they're like or, yeah, the image that we want to convey. I always feel like there was a turning point for most of us, you know, how we were in teenage and early adult years where when we were meeting new people, there was a sense of having to do that transmission where I'm making sure that that person I'm meeting really knows not who I am, but who I want them to think I am, right? And, you know, we're sort of filling in our biography and, and that whole game. And can't we remember over the years, like at some point, what a burden it is to feel like I need that person to see me a particular way. You know, that, that's such a unnecessary burden to have to be somebody to somebody else in the way that we want, you know, to be pictured or seen. And it's a little bit in terms of our relationship with the activity of our own heart and mind, our body, and even the world around us. Part of the faith, the confidence, is that sense of ease that, you know, with the deepening trust and wisdom and awareness, that deepening ease that the world doesn't need to be different than it is. Now, doesn't, this is easily misunderstood in terms of the very real suffering and injustice in the world. But it's really more about the capacity to really show up to meet the moment as it is, and to allow the response to come out of that intimacy. Instead of to be operating with an unseen default, understanding that this is not okay, or this isn't it. I mean, it, when we say it out loud intellectually, you know, okay, here's my strategy for life. I'm gonna move through my life presuming that this moment isn't it isn't the way it should be. You see, it, it just sets up this, this real sense of distance and this real conflictual relationship with the present moment. And as, I don't know if it was Carol, but somebody was saying with real emphasis, uh, maybe yesterday, but it already is this way. You know, the present moment is already this way. So the, the relevant question is, what is the skillful way for the heart to be showing up right now? How do we plant seeds? How do we cultivate the heart and mind that is relating, showing up in a way that leads onward to release instead of leading onward toward tension? and reactivity and the you know activity of greed, hatred, and delusion. So I'll just mention a few things because I think just appreciating the goodness and the rightness and the value of the practice is so uh, is exactly how we build momentum. So it's nice to notice that it's it's not about wanting these things to happen because that will be directly immediately experienced as tension. But it's about noticing when there is wisdom and awareness, what that sets in motion. Because we have to, the mind, like when we collect data, we have to correlate when the mind is being skillful, there's wisdom and awareness, then that cultivates, that moves the heart, mind in a direction. So when we see that awareness is more continuous, you know, we want to value that. We want to notice what that feels like, how that appears in the mind and the heart and body. And one of the 
telltale signs for that continuity isn't like necessarily perfect continuity. But one of the things I've noticed in my practice, I see it as a real fruit of many decades of practice, is that when my mind gets distracted and then wisdom and awareness comes back online, it's like there's very little ripple. It's not so much that the mind doesn't get distracted, but the mind or wisdom and awareness doesn't have such a big problem with distraction. It just goes right back to doing the work of wisdom and awareness. Instead of thinking, well, I should be punished because I was distracted. And then once punishment has been given, then I'll get back to wisdom and awareness. Right? It doesn't, doesn't bother with frustration, doesn't bother with judgment, doesn't bother with punishment. It just realizes this is being known. It's the continuation of that natural process where experiences arise and are known. And even if there's reactivity, even if there's delusion, that also can be experiences the next thing arising and being known. So that's one thing, just to be on the lookout for that momentum, the building some a power momentum in the practice is just the seamlessness of starting over. And related to that is a, a kind of stability. Almost, it's sort of a funny uh, way of how we use words, like when we use stability, even sometimes people use words like solidity or being held in the practice, because there's almost an energetic, visceral sense of the integrity of awareness not easily toppled over, not easily shaken by what's coming and going. And it's, it's something that can be noticed, just like we can notice when the stability is very fragile, easily pushed over, easily distracted. I remember Joseph had an image way back, Joseph Goldstein had an image of a upside down bowl where you try to put a marble and it would immediately roll off, you know, if it was a perfectly rounded bowl, roll down, go under a table, it took you a while to find it, you'd bring it, put it back and it'd immediately roll off. And then at some point when there's some momentum in our practice, the bowl turns over and there's still distraction, the marble rolls around, but now there's a natural tendency to come back. It's not even a place that the mind comes back to. It's really the space that is allowing things to arise and be known. Arise and be known. Arise and be known. And it's this is that allows that stability and, and it has a good feeling. And we wanna notice that quality of stability unflappability, unshakability, even when it's just in the beginning stages, because it gives us confidence. Oh yeah, this is the direction. There's that immunity from the hindrances, and I've talked about this, and other teachers have talked about how just that little Aikido, Aikido move, you know, normally, in warfare, you think, okay, this force, like my habit to be defensive has been triggered and I need to counter that force of my habit to be defensive with the force of the Dharma and we'll do battle. But that's not how Dharma practice works. You know, my tendency to be defensive, my tendency to feel guilty, my tendency to be judgmental toward myself and my practice, that you know, will get triggered in ways that it gets triggered. But what the practice does is it doesn't confront the defilement. It just understands it. It just understands that it's something being known. So it, it doesn't have to meet it with an equal force or a greater force. It just understands, oh yeah, that happens sometimes. Conditions arise, this old tendency gets triggered, it shows up in the mind, it shows up as emotion, it's felt in the body. It's just this dynamic being known. 
And another thing that you might notice as, uh, and can be just noticing this can be a cause for more confidence in the practice is a kind of curiosity. And I think this really relates to insight too. It's, it's related to humility and insight. One of the better definitions of insight is the mind seeing what it hasn't seen so clearly before. And I think Sayada says, I think I've heard him say that insight is always surprising, right? Because the mind is opening to something it hasn't quite opened as fully to before. So it's always, oh, and even if you were the world expert in the Buddhist teachings on impermanence and the unsatisfactory nature and the impersonal nature of all experience, and we've written books about it, but in a moment of practicing being, you know, wisdom awareness, seeing objects come and go, seeing the unsatisfactory nature, how the mind can't grasp objects in a way that provides ground for a sense of self, seeing how impersonal it all is, a moment of seeing that more clearly will shock, will surprise even the wisest scholar who really knows intellectually, conceptually the teachings. It's always surprising because the mind is opening to something it hadn't opened to before. And so this is the reason like how we can use that curiosity, like the mind is actually interested in connecting and meeting the moment with wisdom and awareness in that fresh and uncontrived place knowing that I don't know what I'm looking for, right? Because if I think I know what I'm looking for in the moment, that's distorting. That's not really a moment of wisdom and awareness. It really has. That's why the word opening or openness can be useful in terms of understanding instead of like teachers have mentioned on this retreat, looking. Because often when we hear that word looking, we think, I know what I'm looking for. But how about when we know that we don't know what we're looking for? Then we're a real student. It really has that quality of humility. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.